0: So we are discussing uh, the fourth section of the essay is there an Indian way of thinking and in the previous section we have already said that our system is context sensitive we doesn't have an universal uh, rule and we are not context free so in the fourth part of the essay Begins like It's time to step back and try a formulation. The grammarians say grammar in all things. I shall be true to my bias and borrow a notion from linguistics and try it for size. There are two kinds of grammatical rules, the context-free and context-sensitive. Quote, Sentences must have subjects and predicates in a certain relation would be an example of the first kind of rule. And plurals in English are realized as s yes after stops, example dogs or cats, es after before fricatives, latches, rn afterward, after word child, etc. Would be context-sensitive rule. Almost all language rules are of the latter kind. So he begins by saying, uh, giving an example of grammarians. That is, grammarians uses rules. They are context-sensitive and giving various examples how plural forms are introduced. That is he is saying two kind of grammatical rules. One is context free and other is context sensitive. the earlier section we have already discussed that Indian uh, rule is based upon Manu and Western uh, are following a universal rule based on Kantian philosophy and also we discussed that traditional religions attack problems opportunistically and rationalize the religions are more abstract, more logical, coherent and more generally phrased. I think cultures uh, have overall tendencies, for whatever complex reasons, tendencies to idealize and think in terms of either the context-free or the conduct sensitive kind of rules. Actual behavior may be more complex, though the rules, they think, are a crucial factor in guiding the behavior. In cultures like India's, the conduct-sensitive kind of rule is the preferred formulation. Manu, uh, that I have already quoted a law of his, uh, There is the same punishment. For the same crime, the punishment varies based on their class. Uh, He says, a king who knows the sacred law must imagine into the law of caste, that is jadi, of district, of guild and of families and this settle the peculiar law of age. That is, our rule is of context sensitive. According to the jadi class or uh, the regional division, it will differ. Not everyone is considered as a unique entity. It will differ according to the class, caste or anything else. So ours is based on the laws made by Manu or discussed in Manu Smriti. So it is really context sensitive. In an illuminating discussion of the context sensitive nature of Dharma in its detail, Bhauthyayana enumerates barren practices peculiar to the Brahmins of the north and those of the south. So again he is uh, giving the examples of Brahmins. Some uh, the rituals or the duties performed by Brahmins in the north and south of India will be different. But it is acceptable in each region. Sometimes what is practicing in north will be, won't, won't be acceptable for the south. And what is practicing in the south won't be acceptable in the north. So each and everything in India it is very context sensitive. There is a difference between the south and north on five points. We shall describe the practices of the south. So, what are the practices of the South? To eat with a person not having received brahmanical initiation. To eat with one's wife. To eat food prepared the previous day. To marry the daughter of the maternal uncle or paternal aunt. And for the North to sell old, to drink spirits, to traffic in animals with two rows of teeth, to take up the profession of arms, to make sea voyages. So, it is entirely different. The practices of Brahmins are entirely different in the North and the South. So, after this admirable ethnographic description, he notes that all these practices are contrary to the percepts of Sruti or Smriti, but these Shishtas or learned men know the traditions and cannot be blamed for following the customs of their district. In the North, the Southern ways would be wrong and vice versa. So, according to their practices in the various religion, various regions, based on their system, they are following the rules and it is entirely different in the north and completely different in the south. So, they are acceptable in their own ways. We can't blame for it because it is the custom of each district. Next, he says that, add to this view of right and wrong behavior, the ethical views of Asrama Dharma. Asrama Dharma is the conduct that is right for one stage of life. Then Swadharma, the conduct that is right for one station, jadi or class or subhava or given nature. Then Abhadharma, conduct that is necessary in times of distress or emergency. That is, one may even eat the flesh of dogs to save oneself from the death by starvation as sage Vishwamistra did. Each addition really is a subtraction from any universal law. So, there is not much left of an absolute or common sadharana dharma, which the text speak of, if at all, as a last and not as a first resort. They seem to say, if you fit no context or condition, it is unlikely fall back on the all universal. So, here also various dharmas are discussed. So, dharma Asrama Dharma, Abad Dharma, no Sadharna Dharma. These dharmas are varies according to the context and giving the examples of various examples. So, how we have to behave in a particular context. So, here also Ramarjan says that we are not following an universal rule. It varies according to the situation. So, if you are not fitting to a special context, it, uh, then we call it as It falls back onto the universal. I know of no Hindu discussion of values which reads like Plato on beauty in his symposium, which asks the initiate not to rest content with beauty in one embodiment, but to be drawn onward from physical to moral beauty, to the beauty of laws and modes and to all science and learning, and thus to escape the mean slavery of the particular case. I am reserving counter-instance for later." So then Pl- Ramanujan says that we can't find anything like Plato's Symposium where the, well, these types of philosophy are discussed. And he which asked the inche not to rest content with beauty in one embodiment but to draw onward from physical to moral beauty. How Plato is discussing on beauty, the varied aspects, we can't find anything in our India in our context or take Indian literary text no Indian text comes without a context a frame till the 19th century works are framed by falasruti verses these verses tell the reader reciter or listener all the good that will result from his good act of reading reciting or listening that is they contextualize it An extreme case is that of the Nadi Shastra, which offers you your personal history. A friend of mine consulted the experts about himself and his past and future. After enough rupee had been exchanged, the expert brought out an old palm leaf manuscript, which in archaic verses mentioned his full name, age, birthplace, etc., and said suddenly, At this point, this listener is causing his legs. He should uncross them. So again, he is giving various other examples to confirm that I was this context sensitive and giving the examples from various texts. Example one is from Nadi Shastra and again he says that no Indian text comes without a context. That is everything in the till the 19th century, each and everything. Is context sensitive. So thinking that whoever reads or listens or recites these texts, they are all good, all the good that will result from his act of reading, or they will be converted into a good person. So everything is context sensitive till 19th century in India. So texts may be historically dateless, anonymous, but their context uses efficacies. Efficacy means ability to produce a desired result or explicit. It is very clear, though it is dateless, though it is anonymous. It is conduct sensitive and everything is clearly stated in each and every text. For example, the Ramayana and Mahabharata open with episodes that tell you why and under what circumstances they were composed. Every such story is encased in a meta story, and within the text, one tale is the context for another within the text. So, if we take the example of Ramayana and Mahabharata, there also we can see what is the context to produce or write these texts, in which context it is produced, or we can also, it is clear that. It is encased in a meta story. One is related to the other. One becomes the framework for the other. And within the text, one tale is the context for another story in these both texts. So, not only does this outer frame story motivate the inner story, the inner story illuminates the outer as well. So, both this meta story, the inner and outer stories, are illuminating each other and it is context sensitive. So it often acts as a microcosmic replica for the whole text. In the forest, and then giving the examples, in the forest when the Pandava brothers are in exile, the eldest Yudhishthira is in the very slough of despondency. Despondency means loss of hope. He has gambled away kingdom as an exile. So in the depth of his despair, a sage visits him and tells the story of Nala. As the story unfolds, he is in Nala to gamble away kingdom, lose his wife, wander in the forest and finally win his wager. Wager means bet, and defeat his brother, then reunite with his wife and return to his kingdom. So the same situation in, is discussed in both these contexts. That is one is in Mahabharata, the uh, stage of Yudhishthira. He allows his, his kingdom in a gambling and is left alone in the forest. So at that time, a sage visits him and uh, informing him about the case of Nala and how he regained and later united with his wife. So Yudhishthira following the full curve of Nala's adventures sees that he is only halfway through his own and sees his present in perspective himself as a story yet to be finished. So the story is still continuing, he has to finish it. So he is only in halfway, he is analyzing himself. In the present perspective, what is his present state and where he stands? So, very often the Nala story is excerpted and read by itself but its poignancy is partly in its frame. So, its meaning for the hearer within the fiction and for the listener of the whole epic. So, the tale within a con- within is context sensitive, getting its meaning from the tale without and giving it further meaning sick. So the tale within. So everything is context sensitive. From this meta-story, the inner and the other stories are produced. So it is giving additional meanings to this story. Next he says about, Scholars have often discussed Indian texts like Mahafarada as if they were loosely files, ragbag encyclopedias. Taking the Indian word for text, Grenda, Derived from the note that holds the palm leaves together. So, Grandha means a note that holds the palm leaves together. So, literally scholars often posit only an accidental or physical unity. We need to attend to the context sensitive designs that embody seeming variety of modes. That is tales, discourse, poem etc. and materials. This manner of constructing the text is in consonance with other designs in the culture. So various modes will be used. We can write in the form of tale or discourse, or we can write in the form of a poem. So anyway, it is context sensitive. And our Indian texts are called by others, other scholars as grandhas So this manner of constructing the text is in consonance with other designs in the culture. So not unity, but coherence seems to be the end. So, in the Aristotelian sense, not unity, only the coherence is the end of it. So, let's discuss about Tamil and Sanskrit lyrics. They are all dramatic monologues. They imply the whole communication diagram. Who said what to whom, when, why and often with who else overhearing it. So, next ramarjan says about Tamil and Sanskrit text. He says that all that lyrics are composed in the form of dramatic lyrics, dramatic monologues. Who said what, whom, why, when. So everything is there. So he's giving a, for example, from Kurindogai. It's a short collection of poems. It's credited to, uh, to the two not five ancient poets. So what his concubine said about him within a short of the wild friends, when she heard that. The wife had said disparaging things about her. You know, he comes from where the freshwater shark in the pools catch with their mouth. The mangoes as they fall, ripe from the trees on the edge of the field. At our place he talked big. Now back in his aunt, when others raise their hands and feet, he will raise his too. Like a doll in a mirror, and he will shadow every last wish of his son's dear mother. So actually this poem is written in the type of a dramatic monologue. It's a quote from Tamil poem. The colophones give us, colophone means a publisher's emblem, give us the following frames for this poem. Jana Agam, that is love poetry, the interior, Agam means the interior. And here the landscape discusses these agriculture with pool, fresh water, fish, mango trees, and the mood of the poem or the mood on this reflected in lies is infidelity, sullenness and lovers' quarrels. So the poetry of such a poem depends on a taxonomy of landscapes, flora and fauna and of emotions, an ecosystem of which a man's activities and feelings are a part. To describe the exterior landscape is also to inscribe the interior landscape. What the man has, he is. The landscape which he owns, in which he lives, where sharks do not have to work for the mango, it falls into its open mouth, represents him. So it is his property in more senses than one. In Burke's terms, scene and agent are one. They are metonyms for each other. So how the poet is conveying the scene and agent? Both are one. That is, in these lines we can understand that both the exterior landscape, what he is describing exterior, is also inscribing the interior mood of the poem or the interior landscape of the poem. So in Burke's term, we can say that in these lines, both the scene and agenda, one they are metonyms for one another. So the poem does not use a metaphor. The human agents are simply placed in the scene. Both part of the comparison, both the man and shark, are part of one scene, one syndicate. They exist separately yet still simulate each other. The Tamil calls such a figure Ullurai or inward speaking. It is an inset and inscape. In such a metonymic view of man in nature, man in context, he is continuous with the context he is in. In Persian, Symposium means Peirce semiotic terms. These are not symbolic devices but indexical signs. So here the Sina, agent and One and they are metonym for one another and in Tamil we can call it as ullurai or in word speaking. That is it is a metonymic view of uh, man in nature. And in terms of Charles Peirce, we can say that they are indexical signs and not symbolic devices. The signifier and signified belong in the same context. So one might say from this point of view, the Hindu ritual, that is the Vedic sacrifice or coronation, converts symbols, arbitrary signs into icons, whereas the signifier is like what it signifies and finally indexes. So here he says about the symbols, they are arbitrary signs. Here, from one case of Hindu ritual, that is here the sign is the sacrificial horse into icons where the signifier here is the horse and it signifies the universe. That is Ashwamedayagam, what is it? Signifier is the horse and signified is the universe and finally it falls into indexes. Where the signifier is part of what it signifies, so uh, uh, I think you will be familiar with this Ashwamedha Yaga. Whoever tries to beat defeat this horse, they have to uh, fight with the king. Whoever concerned with the host, whoever they have to fight with the real owner of the or the king of uh, king of the uh, sorry. So, they have to fight with the concerned king. So, uh, finally, where the signifier is a part of what it signifies. The horse is the universal so prajabadi. To that, in sacrificing and partaking of it, one is sacrificing and partaking of the universe itself. See the passage of the horse in Brahadaranyaga, first Adhyaya, first Brahmana. So, he is discussing about Dishashamedayagam. Here the signifier is the horse and the horse is signifying the whole universe. And the universe signifies the term Prajavadi. He will be the emperor for this whole area. So, neither in the Tamil poem nor in the Upanishad passages. For example, the horse, this is the levi in opposition of nature, culture makes sense. So, these type never make sense in Indian poems. This levi opposition of nature-culture. We see that opposition itself is culture-bound. There is another alternative to a culture with nature view. In the Tamil poems, culture is enclosed in nature and nature is reworked in culture so that we cannot tell the difference. We have a nature-culture continuum that cancels the terms, confuses them even if we begin with them. So, again, Amangan says that in Tamil poem, we can see a relation between the nature and culture. We cannot identify the difference. There, we can see a nature-culture continuum. So, such container-contained relations are seen in many kinds of concepts and images, not only in culture-nature, but God-world, king-kingdom, devotee-god, mother-child. So here is a bhakti poem which play with many such concentric containments. to caught? My dark one stands there as if nothing changed. After taking entire into his small, all three worlds, the gods and the good kings, who hold their lands as a mother would a child in her womb. And I, by his leave, have taken him entirely, and I have him in my belly for keeps. So like the Nala story in the Mahavarada, uh, what is contained mirrors the container. The microcosm is both within and like the macrocosm and paradoxically also contains it. The relation between the contained and the container. So Indian conceptions tend to be such concentric nest: the view of the sheets or kosha, the different bodies or kayas. Such impressions are so strong and even kinesthetic that analysts tend to think in similar terms. One example is Newman's notion of hierarchic encompassment, where each higher category of jadi encompasses all the earlier ones. The kshatriya is distinct from but includes the vaishya as the Brahman encompasses the kshatriya. It is the notion of hierarchic encompassment by Dumad. that is Kshatriya is included, not distinct but Vaishya is also included in that part, likewise Brahmin encompasses the Kshatriya. So many lists like Dharma or Thakama tends to be successive encompassments. For the separation of Moksha, see below, even space and time, the universal context, the Kantian imperative, Are in India not uniform and neutral but have properties varying specific densities that affect those who dwell in them. So this candian imperative is not applicable in India but we have seen slight things in India. The soil in a village which produces crops for the people affect their character as liars for instance Houses have mood and character, change the fortune and mood of the dwellers. Time too does not come in uniform units. It also changes. Certain hours of the day, certain days of the week are auspicious or inauspicious. Certain units of time, breed, certain kind of maladies, politics, religions, etc. Kali Yuga. A story is told about two men coming to Yudhishthira with a case. One had bought the other's land and soon after found a crock of gold in it. He wanted to return it to the original owner of the land, who was arguing that it really belonged to the man who had now bought it. They had come to Yudhishthira to settle their virtuous dispute. Just then, Yudhishthira was called away. For a while, when he came back, the two gentlemen quarreling furiously, but each was claiming the treasure for himself this time. So Yudhisthira realized that once that the age had changed and Kali Yuga had began. So they are quarreling for this matter. As our month, season, year and year have their own properties as context, the arts that depend on time have to be time-changing moods and properties. So however an hour or a month or a season, it is not same in each and every minute. It varies. Each hour varies, each season varies, each month varies according to the context. Likewise, our text also, the art also depends upon the context. It varies from time to time. It have to obey times changing moods and properties. Example, the ragas of both North and South Indian classical music have their prescribed appropriate times. Like the Tamil poems, the shannas and moods are associated with or placed in hours of the days and times of the season. Even musical instruments have their caste properties. A veena, no less than the icon of a god, has to be made by a particular caste or family after observing certain austerities or vrata, made on an auspicious day. The god from which it is made has to be taken from certain kinds of places. God means the frame. Their gunas, that is qualities of substance, affect the quality of the instrument, the music. So again he says about uh, giving the example of Veena. Veena is also an icon of God and those who are how we have one uh, person from a particular caste is stringing or uh, using this Veena and the frame also we have to take it from a special tree. So likewise, the whole thing will affect the quality of that veena and we have to uh, take or follow some austerities or brata to sing in this veena. So the same kind of contextual sensitiveness is shown in medical matters in preparing a herbal medicine, in diagnosis and in prescription. As Simmerman's work is eloquent on the subject, I shall say little, the notion of Satmaya or appropriateness applied to poetry, music, sacrificial, ritual as well as medicine. So in every field we have to give importance to its context. Even in preparing medical matters or preparing medicine or writing poems or doing sacrifice, everything is context sensitive. <sighs> As Reno points out, Ritu, usually translated as season, means articulation of time. So each season conveys a particular time, and the entire time will be different throughout the year. And it also a crucial moment in Vedic sacrifice, that Ra, Rada, order, the original notion behind Dharma, that which is articulated, Kratu, sacrifice, is a convergence of even acts, times and spaces. The vocabulary of Rudusatmaya, appropriateness, then means means essences, favours, taste. Dosha, defects, deficiency, and of landscapes is common to both medicine and poetry. So the art of man reading and reforming himself in his context. So all these are produced in certain contexts and each and everything is context sensitive. So whoever goes through these seasons or these art forms or poems or various forms of literature they too will be reformed according to this context so there's all things even so-called non-material ones like space and time or caste affect other things because all things are substantial or dadu the only difference that some are subtle sukshma and some are gross sthula so and their difference is between the sthula and sukshma Contrary to the notion that Indians are spiritual, they are really material-minded. They are materialist, believers in substance. There is a continuity, a constant flow. Etymology of samsara, of substance from context to object, from non-self to self, in eating, breathing, sex, sensation, perception, thought, art or religious experience. This is the grain of truth glimpsed by many of the stereotypes cited in the earlier parts of this essay. Simmerman points out that in Indian medical text, the body is a meeting place, a conjunction of elements. They have a physiology but no anatomy. So that is the difference between the eastern and western culture. We consider our body as a conjunction or a meeting place of various Physiological the perspectives. When Kissinger and others are wrong, is it not saying that this view has nothing to do with Newtonian revolution, education or capacity or incapacity for abstract thought. Cognitive anthropologists like Richard Shader have studied descriptive phases used by highly intelligent Oria and American adult, and shown that they describe persons very differently. Americans characterized them with generic words like good, nice, or and concrete contextual descriptions like he brings sweets. The psychoanalyst Alan Rowland suggests that Indians carry their family context wherever they go, feel continuously with their family. He posits a familial self or self-regard, See no ways of separation or individuation from the parental family as in modern America. Hence, there seems to be no clear-cut adolescent phase through which one rebels and thereby separates and individuates oneself in opposition to one's family. The exceptions are in modern urban center families. Roland remarks that Indians develop a radar, that is a conscience that orients them to others make them say that they are appropriate to person and context. No wonder Max Muller had to insist that Indians were truthful. Rowland also found that when directions to places are given, Indians always make reference to other places and landmarks. Here also he is discussing about the way of behaviour of Indian. That is wherever we go, uh, we have a familial concern for all other people. So that is reflected in our speech pattern, and here the last example is that if we are asking about a landmark or a specified place, we will also relate to other people or also discuss about other landmark and other places. So here we are following a familiar thing in our self. So such a perversive emphasis on context is, I think, related to the Hindu concern with jadi. The logic of classes of genre and species of which human Jadis are only an instance. Various taxonomies of season, landscape, times, gunas are qualities and their material basis, taste, characters, emotions, essences etc. are basic to the thought work of Hindu medicine and poetry. Cooking and religion, erotics and magic. So all these things are inculcated in the mind of a Hindu or an Indian. So each jadi or class defines a context, a structure of relevance, a rule of permissible combinations, a frame of reference, a meta communication of what is and can what can be done. So it is different for each person. Each context is entirely different. Uh, it will be different, one thing will be different for Brahmin, and it will be different from Kshatriya and from different from Vaishya. So it is context-sensitive, whether it is structure, rule of permissible combination, the frame of reference, everything is entirely different according to the or class in an Indian system. So it is not surprising that systems of Indian philosophy, that is Hindu, Buddhist, or Jaina, caught confine themselves to the consideration of class-essences called genera and species in Western philosophy. They never raise the question of whether there are universals of other types, namely identical qualities and relations. The assumption seems to be that qualities and relations are particulars, though they may be instances of universals. The most important and accessible model of context-sensitive system With intersecting taxonomies is of course the grammar of a language. And grammar is the central model for thinking in many Hindu texts. As Frithi Stahl has said, what Euclid is to European thought, the grammarian Pani is to India. It's a reference by Fritz Stahl. Even the Kama Sutra is literally a grammar of love which declines and conjugates men and women as one Put nouns and verbs in different genders, voices, moods and aspects. So genders are genres. Different body types and character types obey different roles, respond to different sense and beginnings. So these also signifies the context sensitive system. It is entirely different and each and varied persons, those who are different in class or caste, they follow a different patterns. So it is a context sensitive in such a world, systems of meaning are elicited by context, by the nature and substance of the listener. In Brikadariniyaga 5.1, Lord Prajabadi speaks in thunder three times. Da, da, da. When the gods, given to pleasure, hear it, they hear it as the first syllable of dhamyada, that means control. The anti-gods, given as they are to cruelty, hear it as dayadvam, be compassionate. And when the humans given to greed, hear it, they hear it as datta, give to others. So the same sound is also interpreted in three various forms. That is why he is saying that everything is context sensitive.